Good morning. You're tuned in to The Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. And ladies and gentlemen, we have my daughter, Princess Pate, in the studio this morning. Uh, Princess, it's a pleasure to have you here in the studio. Thank you for having me. Now, Princess, I've got some questions to ask as a father. Uh, Last time you were on the show, it was probably, oh, maybe three, four months ago. And we talked about, uh, as fathers being incarcerated, how it was being without your dad, Blase Skippity. Now I want to get into a little bit of a different uh, story dealing with basketball and uh, your goals. You are now a a junior at Johnston High School, and your goals and intuitions are to play college basketball. Where do you see yourself now as far as achieving those goals? I can see it, but it's still a long road. Okay, now you say you can see it, but it's still a long road. Can Mm -hmm. you describe that? Well, there's a lot of hurdles and stuff you got to leap through, but you can still see your your goal, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's right. And the fact that you are my daughter, I see that you have a lot of me in you and overachieving and focusing on the things that you really want. And I just want to encourage you that anything that you put your mind to do when you put God in the front line, you can achieve. And so uh, as you are on this mission of pursuing your basketball dreams, I just want to encourage you to continue to keep God in the forefront of everything that you're doing. Will do. Now, uh, tell me, what has it been like being an African-American and a junior in high school at Johnston High School? Um, It's been challenging, I would say, because there's not a lot of people that look like me on my team. And I would say it's just the culture shock because... Back at my own old hometown in Fort Dodge, things were different than they are in Johnston. So just different, but I think it will help me grow as a person. Well, that is great. Now, you have a twin sister, uh, Precious Pate, who is not here right now. Mm-hmm. She has received a full-ride scholarship to over 3,000 schools to choose from, including Ivy League schools, for her academics. I think that that is a huge, miraculous miracle. Yes, it is. I'm very proud of her. Tell me a little bit about that and this scholarship that she got. She works very hard for her grades. She gets about two to three hours of sleep uh, a night. She, uh, Which is not good. Yeah, no, it's not good. She has a 4.5 GPA, and she was awarded a four-year uh, full-ride scholarship to over 3,000 schools in the country. And what school is she looking at pursuing at this point? Um, I think Duke University or Columbia University. That is great. Princess, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, We are going to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, we will speak with Michael Winfrey, native of Des Moines, Iowa, who is now a pastor living in Texas, doing a superb job living in his passion. We'll be back after these messages. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. We've got a wonderful guest that some of you may know, originally from Des Moines, Iowa. Ladies and gentlemen, he is joining us by telephone from Cedar Hill, Texas. It is an image pleasure to welcome Michael Winfrey, Pastor Winfrey. It is a pleasure to have you on The Image Show this morning, Pastor Winfrey. 
Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Fade. This opportunity is well, well uh, pleased to have this opportunity to speak with you on today. Now, uh, Pastor Winfrey, first of all, I want to go back. Uh, the Image Show is about positive change in the community. Uh, guys who have come out of prison, females who have come out of prison, who have changed their life, who are making positive strides in the community, career move decisions, and uh, just kind of spreading that love uh, for the generations to come. You are what we consider one of those people. I want to go back, first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, your time growing up in Des Moines, Iowa, and then which led to your incarceration, which led to your transformation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, amen, amen. Uh, it's my prever- uh, pleasure and privilege. I I started off uh, living a wonderful life. I think uh, at the time that I was growing up, Des Moines, Iowa was one of the second safest places in the country to live. And I lived a very, very great childhood. Did not have a father in the home, but my mother was there and she supplied all that we needed. And in fact, my brother paid it wasn't until I got older that I realized that we were even poor. And then around the age of 14, when I started to enter into junior high, I started to change company, and I started to get connected with some individuals that were going down the wrong avenue. Ultimately, that led to me starting off as a bodyguard uh, for one of the uh, Des Moines, Iowa's most notorious gangsters, and then I got into the drug arena, and that continued to progress until ultimately there was a knock at my front door by the federal government letting me know that they had a warrant for my arrest. Wow. A lot of us can relate to that. I'll tell you, uh, not to cut you off, but just right there where you're at. I was probably about 14, 15 years old, and I remember this time. Uh, I have a lot of friends, a lot of relatives uh, that are friends and relatives of of the Winfrey's, uh, your, your family. And <clears throat> I remember that time growing up when those indictments came out. And I remember uh, your name uh, being one of them, along with a few others. And, you know, of course, at that time, all you can really think about is, wow, uh, you know, tough luck for him. Uh, Glad it's not me. But as you get older and you actually experience incarceration for those who have experienced it, you're able to actually look a little further and, and get a little bit more of an understanding as far as what a person went through, how they changed, how they came out. Now, this ultimately was a life changing experience for you. So as you then went into prison, uh, first of all, uh, I want you to take us into the the sentencing part and how much time you got and then into uh, actual prison and and how things begin to change and develop in your life. Uh, Well, I was going through the process of the indictment and uh, then going through the the trial process, it was actually in the county jail that I realized that um, this was bigger than me. Uh, I did not, could not pay my way out of this situation. My name would not get me out of this uh, situation. My reputation would not get me out of this situation. And I realized it was bigger than me. So it was there in that county jail, in the Polk County Jail, that I accepted Christ into my life. And from that moment forward, my life began to change and transform. However, uh, when uh, we were sitting in the holding tank one day, my uncle and I and another uh, friend, who was all on this indictment, we were all laughing and joking, just playing, acting like everything was everything. 
and a federal agent went by and said, I don't know what you guys are laughing at. Uh, you're facing 25 to life. And he threw a newspaper in the Des Moines Register, and we read on the front page that we were facing 25 to life. And then it got quiet in the church. And so wow. ultimately, when I got to the sentencing process and the judge said, you are now sentenced to 230 months. I said, well, wow, that doesn't sound like that much. And then my attorney began to calculate uh, how long that was, and it ended up being 19 years and two months. And I was like, who, me? <laughs> I looked behind me, it was the judge talking about someone else? It couldn't have been me. This was my first offense. And so I was sentenced to 19 years, two months. Of that 19 years and two months, I did 16 years and nine months in the federal prison. Now, here's the good news for me and, and, and what made this a lot easier for me than it might have been for some other individuals as well, because Christ did my time for me and with me. Amen. That can made all the difference in the world. Can you repeat that one more time? Christ did my time for me and with me, and that what made a difference in my entire incarceration. Mm, mm, mm. I can relate. I can relate. I'm listening. So, of course, you know, going in, uh, again, you don't know anything about this system. All we know is what Hollywood has shown us, what TV show have shown us, what others who have gone before us have told us. But you really don't know what prison is like until you are there. And I want to uh, kill this uh, misnomer that people believe that uh, because you go to the federal prison that it's a club fed or it's not as hard as the state prison. It's just the opposite. In fact, prison is prison. I don't care if you give me horses, swimming pool, or anything else. You are still locked down. You are still told what to do, when to do, and how to do it. You are still restricted from your family and loved ones. And in fact, two of my children were born while I was in the county jail, headed towards this long sentence. And so uh, let's kill that for the young people that believe that it's a badge of honor, who believe that this is something to do, with, you know, it's getting another notch in your belt. It's something that I would wish upon no one. Uh, it's not a bed of roses. But again, because I had Christ in my life, it made a difference. In fact, uh, I grew up, Brother Faith, I grew up in a home where Christ was not the center. And my only experience with Christ was a next-door neighbor who took me to church, I believe, one or two times. And the only thing I remember about church was, Oh, how I love Jesus, the song, and John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. I had no idea. I, I believed that there was a God, but he was so far from my life, it was ridiculous. But once I gave my life to Christ and I opened up the Word of God, I immediately began to get revelation knowledge and began to teach in the county jail. And they were amazed because they thought that I went to school. They thought that I went to seminary. They thought that I grew up in church, but it was only by the grace of God. And so because Christ was in my life, I would not have changed one thing about that prison experience because it may or helped to make me the man that I am today. This is great. For those of you who have just tuned in, we are in a live conversation with Michael Winfrey, a native of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Mr. Winfrey is now a pastor in Cedar Hill, Texas, and he's joining us by phone, and he is giving us the rundown of the story that took place way back in the day. For those of you who are from Des Moines, Iowa, uh, I'm sure that you know Michael Winfrey, you know his transformation, and we are getting it raw and uncut. We're going to go to a quick commercial. We'll be back right after these messages. 
And we're back on The Image Show with Michael Winfrey. Michael Winfrey, boy, I tell you, man, this is some great information. This is a, a great little rap session that we're having. A lot of people from Des Moines know you and they hear about your transformation, that you're a pastor now and how uh, incarceration changed your life. But sometimes the story gets a little twisted. And that's what makes uh, this program so important and special is because we actually get to hear the truth. So if you will continue uh, where you were at uh, with the incarceration, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Well, uh, as I was saying, uh, Brother Faith, uh, I had some good times. I had some bad times. I had some ups and I had some downs. But uh, through it all, I continued to serve Christ. Uh, uh, just because you say, uh, don't mean you won't get in trouble. Just because you say, don't mean that some of your old ways or your old man is not there. And I experienced that because when I was in the street in Des Moines, I was a boxer. And I did a lot of boxing. And when I went to prison, I took that boxing with me, evidently, because I did get in several fights. And in fact, before I was getting ready to get out, they had just put in for my uh, parole. And I was in the medication line getting ready to get my insulin. I am a type 1 diabetic. And the Holy Spirit told me what was going to happen before it happened. And no sooner than the Holy Spirit told me this uh, older Hispanic guy cut in front of the entire line. And so I asked him, I said, don't you see all of us standing in line? And he said he, he disregarded what I had said. And so as, uh, as I reached for the door, he smacked my hand down. Hmm. Uh, why did he do that? <laughs> so the old Michael <laughs> rose up, and of course, the next thing I know, I'm in segregation, the whole. Now, oh, my, my. remember, my, my parole papers just went in hmm. maybe a week or so before that. And because of that, I ended up doing more time uh, than I would have done. I would have probably been getting out at least six months earlier. Oh and so, uh, uh, again, for those who, who are saved and sanctified for the Holy Ghost, don't forget that the old man is like Jason is still sitting there waiting to resurrect himself. And that's one of the, the, the downfalls uh, uh, that I experienced while I was incarcerated. But I had the opportunity, even while I was incarcerated, to be able to pastor other inmates, counsel other inmates, teach other inmates. And I did a lot of programs and stayed involved with positive things, placed myself in an environment with positive individuals, individuals who wanted to change, who did not feel like prison was a bad place of honor, something to be bragging and boasting about. And because of that, it made and transformed uh, my life. Another thing that I want to share with the listeners is that I dropped out of high school in Des Moines in my senior year. The reason I dropped out was because my cousin, who was a female, told me that we could go get our GED and they would pay us $250. That sounded wise to me. I could get $250 for getting a GED. And ultimately, I ended up getting in trouble. So I never got the 250 and I got my GED while I was in, uh, incarcerated. And then I went on to get a degree in writing for Children Magazine, another degree in business computers, and then ultimately a degree in biblical studies. Uh, but it's uh, it's so important, uh, the people that we hang out, the people that we allow to speak into our lives and we don't allow to speak in our lives because it can forever change your life. So that was, uh, in a nutshell, or the short version of my incarceration. But I knew from that county jail that prison was not for me and that God has something much better. And I thank God now 
uh, uh, further on in years, I realized that great thing that God had in store for my life. Amen. And going back, you said it was just when you got your parole papers uh, submitted that you got into this altercation. Now, I want to know, did the guy who was tempting you at this time, did he know that your parole papers had just went in? Oh, no, no. It, w- it would have been humanly impossible. He was not in my unit. He was not close to me. Okay. Uh, but the enemy knew. That's right. And and the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, but there are principalities in higher places. And that enemy knew, and he used this individual and myself to get that uh, parole pushed back just a little bit. Well, I say that because you know that that's very common that it happens anytime a person, whether it's state or federal. I mean, I can relate from the state. Uh, jurisdiction side from fighting fightings and altercations when people get their parole papers submitted it seems like there's always a test that comes from the enemy I mean it's guaranteed to happen you can count on it as soon as you get ran up for parole or it's your time for release especially if you've done an extensive amount of time you're always going to run into that temptation of a fight I can't figure it out you can do well uh, you, you you can do Ten years straight without a fight, maybe one, two altercations here or there. But as soon as you get ready to get out, here comes a problem. Well, what I wanted to say to that, Brother Tate, is really, you know, what's bigger than that. On the surface, it looks like that. But again, if God has a purpose and a plan for your life, the closer you get to that plan, then the more the enemy attacks you. And so for those individuals who are trying to turn their life around, trying to do the right thing, headed towards the door, of course, the enemy is going to do everything to thwart God's plan. Remember, it's not about us. It's about defeating God. Ultimately, we know God always wins, but sometimes we succumb to the temptation or others succumb to the temptation by doing just that, trying to instigate fights, trying to uh, tear you down, uh, trying to get you set back. But again, ultimately, at the root of it, it is the enemy who's trying to thwart God's plan for your life. Amen. That makes a lot of sense. And I received that. And for those of you out there who have just tuned in, uh, we are listening to Robert Winfrey, Pastor Winfrey, native of Des Moines, Iowa, who spent 16 years, nine months in federal prison and changed his life. Mr. Winfrey, for those who uh, may want to reach out to you, do you have a contact information? Uh my phone number is wide open. I will always answer my phone. If I don't know your number, you leave me a message. I'll call you back. That's the first way to contact me. And that phone number is 817-554-4459. That number again is 817-554-4459. I am also on Facebook, at Minister Mike on Facebook. And then I'm also on Instagram under Michael Quinn. That is beautiful. For those of you who uh, were able to write that down, we ask that you reach out to Mr. Winfrey if you're looking uh, for help, if you're looking for uh, just maybe some answers, if you've been incarcerated and you're at a time in your life where you're stuck, you're trying to make some decisions, some career decisions, you're down on your faith and you need somebody to talk to, to lift you up, 
to inspire you spiritually. I think that Mr. Winfrey is definitely that person. Uh, And I'll tell you, Pastor Winfrey, it is a pleasure uh, to be talking to you right now. I I just recently met you, and I remember hearing a lot of old stories. And then I remember hearing the transformation and, and how you became a pastor and how you literally turned a negative situation into a positive. Amen. Amen. I really, really appreciate this opportunity. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and your listening audience. And I want to say this for those individuals who are listening and and believe that uh, life has just thrown you a bunch of wrenches and it seems like nothing you do sees. The reason I believe that my life has changed and transformed is because of Christ and Jesus Christ only. I'm, I'm just a man that he took from nothing and help to create and make something of it. And he's willing to do that for any one of your listeners, anyone who believes that they've gone too far and God just can't help them. He will help you in any situation. All you got to do is call out, cry out, reach out to him, and he'll change and transform your life. Remember, it's not me. It's the Christ in me that makes the difference. Amen. We're going to go to another commercial break real quick. When we come back, uh, we're going to speak with Pastor Winfrey and talk a little bit more about his life after prison and how he became a pastor and kind of his uh, journey throughout uh, his pastorhood up until now. We'll be back on the Image Show special edition after these messages. And we're back on The Image Show with Mr. Winfrey, Michael Winfrey, ladies and gentlemen, native of Des Moines. A lot of us from the old school remember Mr. Winfrey. And uh, Mr. Winfrey is now a pastor in Cedar Hill, Texas. Pastor Winfrey, we want to also kind of go back. You said that you had some things about your childhood that you also wanted to talk about that kind of led up uh, to this whole experience of, of being incarcerated and then after incarceration. So I'll just let you kind of take it from there. Uh, well, again, uh, Brother Tate, where you had said that many people in uh, Des Moines or Iowa themselves know me. And the truth of the matter is most people don't know me. They know of Amen. Uh, they've heard things about me. They may have seen me in passing, but very few people know me. And some things even my own mother did not know until recently. But as a child, uh, when I was growing up around 10 years old, I was molested by a male cousin. And oh, I know wow. they say it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to boys. It doesn't happen to men. But it happens uh, to young boys, whether you're African-American, whether you're rich or you're poor. But in our household, we were taught to cover things up, hide things. So that's one particular thing that happened. And then oh, at wow. age 11, I had uh, I had sex with my babysitter, who was 16 at the time. So that opened up another door and another avenue that should not have been opened in my life. How old were you then at that at time? Age 11. 11. I was wow. 10 when I was molested. I was 11 when I had sex for the first time with a woman. Wow. And that was my babysitter. Uh, she was 16, five years my senior. Maybe she might have been even 17 or 18, but she was my senior. Um, another thing that happened around that 10 and 11-year-old, I was uh, riding a bicycle around Dowling, where everybody used to hang out and play basketball. And there was a track right across the street from old Dowling. And I was out there riding and jumping ramps, and uh, I found a little German Shepherd puppy, and I was so excited about it. So I picked it up, and I rode it home. 
And when I got to the house, my mom said I couldn't have it. And I was just boo-hoo crying. I was riding down the street with the puppy in my hand and uh, holding the puppy with both hands and riding with no hands. And as I was coming off of 8th Street down by Moulton Elementary, uh-huh. uh, I used to think that I had bionic ears from the $6 million man. And so <laughs> you said my bi- hand up to you my said, ears. You said bionic ears. ears. You know bionic ears. <laughs> yes, bionic ears, a $6 million man. If okay. you're old enough, you remember that. Yeah. And so I put my hand up to my ear and did a little sound. And I said, oh, there's no cars coming. Uh, but my batteries must have been broken. My ear, because it was a car that came and it hit me head on. Threw me about 25 feet up in the air come down, hit my head on the car, and then on the cement. But by the grace of God, even when I wasn't serving him, even when I didn't know anything about him, he still had his hands in my life, and nothing happened. And then, fast forward uh, to when I was 21 years old, someone is shot at my mother's house. And you know you don't do that. You don't do You can do anything to me, but not my mama. That's right. So I went around to one of the clubs who was on the other side of Irving Junior High after we had closed down. And I was asking one of my partners if he had a gun, because I was going to handle my business. And he said he didn't, but this one particular guy uh, said, I'm the one that shot your mom out. And so why did he say that? And ultimately, it led into a fight, and I began to beat him down. He left, he came back, and he rushed me, and he began to hit me in the side of my leg. Well, I had no clue that he had broken a beer bottle, and he was stabbing me uh, numerous times in the leg. Then I ultimately looked down, sweatpants had been tore up and blood was just rushing out of my leg. Well, that wasn't enough. God was trying to get my attention. Then at age 21, I went to go shoot at someone and ultimately shot at me and hit me in the head with a 45 caliber pistol. Wow. Should have been dead and gone. But yet God had a plan and a purpose for my life and yet I lived. And then after that, in that same 21 year is when I got indicted and was sentenced to federal prison. But that is the bad news. But the good news is that God transformed and changed my life. And then, as uh, you asked, my life was forever changed. Uh, A few moments before I was getting ready to get out of prison, one of my roommates had gotten a letter from his son who was in the county jail. And his son asked him, say, hey, Dad, one of these older guys in here is telling me that when they give me my little money to get out, go out and get a small package, uh, turn it over, flip it, and make some more money. Flip that and make some more money. Dad, uh, just keep it real with me. And so I asked the roommate, I said, hey, listen, can I write him back? And I wrote him back and I told him the truth. I told him uh, uh, the ignorance of what that older man shared with him and the truth and the reality of it. And because of that, I ultimately started a youth uh, program that was called Keeping It Real. And it was a youth prevention program where I went into the school and talked to young men. I went into the neighborhood and talked to uh, men about the realities of going to prison, about the realities of choosing the dope life or following Christ. And, and that was a blessing to me. And it was burst simply because I wrote a letter to a young man who asked his dad to keep it real because we oftentimes use it. I'm going to keep it real. But oftentimes we keep it real ignorant. We keep it real stupid. We keep it real dumb. Sure. And we're not telling our young people. And ultimately they begin to follow our track. That's right. End up in prison or something worse. Yes, that, that that's very true. And I know that you also uh, talked about God trying to get your attention. I could relate to that so well, and I'm sure that a lot of us can. Oftentimes, we go through these uh, life-threatening uh, situations where it seems like uh, we might not make it out of a situation. We, we might not uh, become healthy, stable. And sure enough, God blesses us, and then we turn our back 
or we didn't quite get the point. We didn't get the message that time. So uh, we go through another situation where he bats us over the head with something, and then we still don't get the message. Well, uh, then there comes a time where he has to just set us down for a minute for those of us that are hard-headed and you know, kind of really, really deal with us with a one-on-one situation where we have no choice but to be patient. We're forced. And that's where a lot of us uh, enter into prison. And we change our lives. I mean, I'm one of those people who has done that as well. So I can relate to your story so well, uh, Pastor Winfrey. I, I go back to what you said about people saying that they know who you are, but not really knowing you. And there is so much judge, judging in this world where people think, I mean, I can go back to the times when I was in prison and people were coming in and you look at them, you kind of size them up, uh, you hear them talk, you, you can kind of fill out what uh, city they're from, what coast, east, south, northwest, and then all of a sudden you kind of put a judgment call with them. After maybe two, three weeks, a month, two months of really getting to know that person, you find out that everything that you envisioned was completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Now, you know, I want I want to uh, bounce off of that because we're taught in this world, in this society to judge people by what we see, by what we think, by what appears before us, which is so, so wrong. Um, And we live in in a country, in a world, in a society that places you in a box. If you're male or female, check here. You're black or white, check here. Rich or poor, check here. What side of town you went on. And so that same thing happens in prison. When you see an individual, you may have heard something about them. Uh, You may have, uh, uh, like you said, sized them up, simply by how they look, how they act, how they talk. But at the root of every individual, same thing. We're looking for love. So sometimes we try to find that love in drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, chasing women, money. Uh, we, we try to find it in having a particular um, appearance before individuals because you're taught that in prison you have to be hardcore. Uh, you have to hold yourself up. You have to carry yourself a particular way. But ultimately, every man that I've met was either crying on the inside or crying on the outside of their life. And they just covered it up. We learned to mask things. Uh, we're we're real good at masking who we really are. And so even when I was saying that people didn't know me, guess what? But I didn't know myself either. Amen. And it was through that experience in prison. I want to say this too for individuals who believe that it was prison who changed me. No, it wasn't prison that changed me. What changed me was that I had hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, Either you're going to die and stay there or you're going to look up and reach up to God and get up out of that situation. Because I know another individual who was locked up with me, had two life sentences. He was uh, cut off from the waist in a wheelchair. And yet he still did not give. He was cut off from the waist down. Okay. He had the waist up of his body. Okay. And yet he still didn't change. He still didn't give his life to God. So if prison was what changed you, then everybody who went to prison would get saved. If Mm. prison was what changed you, then everybody would come out like you and I trying to live a better life and not going back. No, it's when you get to a place of brokenness. For me, a place of brokenness was prison. For someone else, it may be, you know, they smoked themselves out of it. Uh, they they stole themselves out. They lied themselves out of it, and they just got to a place, a point where we often say, I'm tired of being tired. But you have to come to a place 
of brokenness. It's something that you said. Uh, I've talked this for a long time. Anybody who's listening today, without me knowing anything about you, I can tell you this one thing, that whenever you are going to do wrong, you heard a voice at least three times. Don't go there. Don't mess with them. You better stop that. Put that down. And you ignored it. Then once you get into that police car, once you get into that situation, you say, oh, something told me. Or you say, my conscience told me. No, that was the Holy Spirit. That was God trying to get your attention one time, two times, three times, sometimes 300 times. Mm-hmm. But that was the Holy Spirit acting in your life and you just didn't recognize it. Now I know without a shadow of a doubt that God had his hands on me my entire life from the womb to where I'm at now. My, oh, my. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned into The Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. We are in a telephone communication call interview with the one and only Pastor Winfrey from Des Moines, Iowa, Michael Winfrey, ladies and gentlemen. He is giving us the raw and uncut. We're going to go to a quick commercial, but we'll be back after these messages. We're back. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a special edition image program. Uh, We have Iowa native, Des Moines native, Michael Winfrey, and he is giving us the raw and uncut uncut exclusive interview on his life story and uh, his transformation. So, Mr. Winfrey, we're going to let you continue to roll. Well, Brother Vade, I want to say this, that uh, oftentimes we... In our testimonies, we glorify all the bad and the evil and the things that we did working for the enemy. But I want to give God praise, honor, and glory because some things happened after I got out that there's no way humanly possible that could have happened. Uh, first of all, when I got out, I was on uh, parole or on paper, supervised release for what was supposed to be five years. I believe I only did a year and six months. I had an African-American parole officer who was also a Christian. And we had the opportunity to minister together at a conference. And he came in and he sat in my conference after he was done speaking in his. And then that next week he came over to my house and he said, listen, I want to commend you. He said, listen, you had those young people sitting on the edge of their seat. They turned me off no sooner than I walked into the room, but yet you had them on the edge. He said, what you have is a gift. Now, this is my parole officer for those who think that parole officers Mm -hmm. are only sent to send us back. Mm -hmm. My parole officer said this. In fact, he only comes to visit me three times in my entire one and a half years. Then he put in papers to get me off of parole early, and I was granted that. That's That's by the hand of God. Then my first job that I got out with and I got was working for a pharmaceutical company. They do national background checks. Nothing came up in my background. So here's an ex-drug dealer who's now working legally for a pharmaceutical company. While I was in class for the pharmaceutical company, I was going in for a customer serving agent. And once the day we were uh, completing our test to get the job, they stopped me and they called me out and said that the manager wanted to see me. I said, oh, my goodness, did I do that bad on the test? The manager said, no. Would you like to work in workforce management? So before I could pass the test, I had already got promoted. Promotion comes from the Lord. I got promoted to workforce management, never went into customer service. My next job, I worked at for a mortgage company here in Texas, which was a national mortgage company. Anyone who's ever worked for them, it's a, it's a banking institution, so they have to do NCIC check, a national background check. Nothing 
came up again in my past. And so now I'm working for a mortgage industry, get promoted in the mortgage industry to foreclosure review only because of God. Now, if that's not enough to convince you about the power of God in your life, then I went on to be a volunteer in the state parole. So now an ex-felon is now teaching and instructing and encouraging and empowering other men and women as they're getting out of the state facility. I actually encounter and interact with police officers and parole officers every single day. They didn't see the old man. They saw the new man. That wasn't enough for you to believe. Then I went on to start ministering here in the state of Texas. I was ordained in 2002 as an elder. Again, remember, I received my degree in uh, biblical studies, and I went to one of the largest uh, African-American mega churches here in Fort Worth, where I started my preaching career on the outside, and that wasn't enough. God continued to work on my life, and so I began to act in plays, I began to write in plays, and then ultimately I put together a devotional book, it's called 300, a Soul Food, 365 Devotional or meals for spiritual meals for the hungry soul that wasn't enough then god began to work on my mind about a book called no weapon formed against me shall prosper which is the testimony about all the things that the devil meant for evil but god turned it around for good in my life and then finally i'm working on the book now that's called i hate the Lord." god's plan for marriage and during this process after i got out I met my childhood sweetheart, who I met in 1978 in Cal's Activity Center on 13th. Most of you guys may remember that, and her name is Raynell Denise Winfrey, but she was Raynell Allen at the particular time. And we have uh, been married now for eight, going on eight years, and God has really blessed us. He got me a brand new home. Guess what? He got me two brand new cars. Went in to turn in an old car to get a used car. Amazing. And God is so good, he gave me two brand new cars. Amazing. Got in a house with no money down, wow. no money down, and got money back. That's <laughs> not because I'm so good, but that's because of the God that I serve is so great. Sure it is. That's right. And he continues to prosper me, prosper right. me, prosper me, prosper me, me more and more. And I want to say this to the people who are, who are, are listening. Most of us ignorantly think that blessings are monetary. They're material things. No, 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 no. I, I appreciate those monetary things. But like the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content no matter if I have a lot or I have a little. But God has blessed me to be able to pour into people's life, have people pour into my life. He's blessed me to be able to have peace and joy. Where I used to drive around, if the police was behind me or beside me, I would panic. I would begin to sweat. I would think they was after me. Now I can ride in the police car and talk to them. I can pray with police officers. I can share with them. I can minister to police officers. That's a powerful thing. And there's one other thing that just came up to my mind. While I was incarcerated, there was a federal staff, and this only had to be by the hand of God. He came to me for count as he was going through a divorce. He was talking to what the, what the, the system calls an inmate about his family issue, and I was able to pour into his life even while I was incarcerated. So living for Christ it definitely has its benefits beyond measure. And so I thank God uh, for taking someone who was dead and helping them to be alive, someone who was blind, helping them to see. And Brother Pray, because of that, like Moses, God took me out of Egypt, and I called the world, Des Moines was my Egypt, 
And he delivered me from Egypt to have me go back to Egypt to help some other individuals get delivered. Well, I tell you, this is incredible. Pastor Winfrey, you are what makes the Image Show so special. It's people like you. It's these testimonies. Uh, it's it's just completely incredible. I mean, I'm sitting here overwhelmed uh, with your testimony. Now, I have a question. First of all, for those who are interested in buying your book, how do they go about doing that? Well, my particular book is on Amazon right now, and you just type in 365, uh, Soul Food 365 spiritual meals, and it will pop up and it will say Minister Winfrey. Okay. You can buy that. I believe it's on there for $5.99. And not only buy yourself one, but buy somebody else one because it's devotional in a sense that you can understand and that you can relate to. And then it gives you scripture passages to go along with that experience. Okay. And when are you coming back to Des Moines, Iowa? I know you normally do some type of a youth camp here uh, once a year. Uh, When's the next time that you're coming back for uh, one of your events? I'll be back in Des Moines, Iowa. I will actually arrive on the 3rd, but I will be ministering at Mount Hebron Baptist Church in Des Moines, Iowa on 9th, and I believe that is 4th. I'll be ministering on the 5th, 6th, and 7th of June. 7 o'clock nightly. Uh, that's during the uh, a period of time when the entire Baptist uh, convention will be there in Des Moines, so I'll get to hang out with the young people. On that Wednesday afternoon, I believe we're going to have sit-around questions and answers. We'll be able to talk to them. And so I'm, I'm excited about this. So I'll be there from the 3rd to, I mean, from the 3rd, actually until the 10th, but I'll be ministering on the 5th, the 6th, and the 7th. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at Mount Hebron Baptist Church, 9th and 4th, and then I'll be preaching again on that Sunday. I'll be ministering to the youth and those who come out on that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then I'll be ministering to everyone on that Sunday. All right. That's great. Well, hey, we're about out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you heard it. Michael Winfrey, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Winfrey, and he is now uh, relocated He was taken out of Egypt, as he says, out of Des Moines, Iowa, and now he lives in his calling in Cedar Hill, Texas. And Mr. Winfrey, it was more than a pleasure to have you on the show. I want to also just briefly say that I was incarcerated with Robert Winfrey. And uh, that was the name that I always have uh, when I think of Winfrey's because I did 11 consecutive years and Robert Winfrey was just uh, getting his life sentence uh, commuted. Uh, from the juvenile lifer uh, sentencing reform, and he was leaving Rockwell just before he had realized that he had cancer. I wanted to say I'm sorry for your loss uh, there, but he was another uh, incredible guy, a guy that was not afraid to speak uh, what was in his heart or on his mind, I will say. And I know that uh, you and Robert, uh, what was he, your cousin, brother? He was actually my uncle. He was your uncle. Okay. He went to prison when I was a child. Okay, okay. And, uh, ultimately, he, he did get out with a compassionate release, and he died shortly after that. Oh, I'm very, very sorry about that. And I tell you, when you come into town, I plan to definitely attend uh, the service, and hopefully we will be able to get you back here on the Image Show in the studio uh, when you are in town. So I appreciate your time. Ladies and gentlemen, we are completely out of time. We love you. This is the Image Show. We thank you for all of your support. We'll see you next week. 
Have a great week.